Yeah. Thanks, you guys. You can all have a seat. You're, you are an amazing body of believers, and I thank God for every one of you celebrating today. We are in a, a time of transition, as you know, related to staff, and the body's been shaken. There's a lot of questions. I want to give thanks. I, I really do. I want to give thanks. I wasn't sure if our youth group could make it into the future. A youth group's been a big part of our congregation, right? I wasn't sure. And two weeks ago, when things changed suddenly, and the reason I wasn't sure that we could make it is because our youth group is outreach. I mean, some of those students are here today, but largely when you go, you know, these kids are unchurched kids. We have no building that ties them to us. Some of the stuff's been happening in houses. And so on that Saturday two weeks ago, I just made a few phone calls, and the reason I was empowered that Sunday to go ahead and preach was because of the response I got from our congregation. Tom Cousineau and Mark Swanlin both told me separately, Pastor Mike, you're freaking me out because God had just told me that I'm supposed to step up in youth ministry. On Tuesday, I showed up at the office and there was a gal there who helped me with the, that last hire. And I was, I was like, do you know what happened Sunday? She said, I, I know, Pastor Mike. She said, my biggest concern is how much time and energy we put into making that decision. That was her response. And she said, here's my tithe check. And Tyler and I are ready to step up and do youth ministry. Yeah, give glory to God. It's you guys as a body. Now, Tom is a confident leader, okay, in a lot of ways. Mark, he's, he's awesome. He's faithful. He's back there teaching kids right now. Thank God for Mark. But he doesn't have that same kind of confidence. But both of these guys are saying, Pastor Mike, we don't know how far we can take this. We're willing to build a bridge to the future, okay? <laughs> but will the congregation pray for us, okay? Would you ask them to pray for us? I don't know. Can I ask you to pray for them? All right, you let them know, okay? Let them know you're supporting them. Uh, when it comes to kids right now, if you've heard a lie that I was nurturing somebody to replace a staff member, can I just tell you that is a lie straight from the pit of hell, okay? I am constantly meeting with people because I want, listen, Jesus said, pray for workers of the harvest, didn't he? Yeah, not just people to come and sit in seats on Sunday morning, but for workers in the harvest. So I'm constantly praying for workers in the harvest, and then I'm looking for them, expecting God to raise them up. So I'm constantly praying for people, and I am celebrating because Anna Clausen right here, Anita Schatz, these two people are saying, okay, we'll help build a bridge to the future. Awesome, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I give glory to God for that. <laughs> oh, yay, God. But you know what got lost in the mix, and this is confession on my part, the nursery always gets forgotten, right? And so we have some nursery workers in here today. Thank God for you. 
But Nicole Cousineau, whose calling and passion is hospitality, continues to serve back there, okay? Would you love on her and thank her and pray for her for what she's doing? And all these kids workers, they're doing them, all volunteers, okay? They're all just, they're doing it because they love God. They love you because they want you to be able to come to church and hear from God. And they're like, and we'll do whatever we need to. So glory to God for all of them. I want to give glory to God that I don't show up here till 8.30 on Sunday morning, right? And at 7.45, the setup crew starts, they get the truck ready, get the trailer here, and they start getting it set up so that when the rest of us get here, we're ready to go. Can we have glory to God for all those people? And every time we think we're going to be short on setup crew, we get good news. You know, just this last week, I heard about two more people that are willing to drive that trailer to get it here on Sunday mornings. And I can't tell you what that does for, for Dan Clausen, who, who carries this thing, you know. And, and he's operating out of weakness in this. But he is blessed when people say, can I be a part? And it's so, so, so awesome. Worship. Worship. You know, <laughs> Thank you, dear, for what you're doing. And we've, we're right now, we're in a, in a place where we're having a rotation of worship teams, okay? Today, under the direction of, of Michael Brown. Where's, where's Michael? Where, where, there he is, way over there, okay. Michael, thank you, thank you. Yeah, Michael is one of my kids from youth ministry. And he's asking God, how can, we, how can I be a part, okay? This guy's an investment broker who lives in southern Denver. And so if you complain about your drive to church today, well, he had a bigger one than you did. And he was here early to minister. So this guy is anointed and gifted. We love you, bro. Yeah. And, and all the teams, I mean, we were blessed. Last week, Valerie cried because of the Ravencrest team. We're really, really, really blessed. And you would think during this time of, of, of difficulties, we would see decreases uh, at the board meeting. Our, our attendance continues to grow as a church. Do you remember last week I celebrated that we ended 2014 in the black? And I was celebrating? Well, listen to this. We bought a building for 235000 200000 essentially, well, my numbers are a little off, but we committed $35,000 over our budget to remodel that office so we could get into it, right? Planning to go in the red this year. That's factored in. We spent the thirty-five dollars on the office, and we're still in the black. <laughs> you are strong as a body, and it's not because you're strong it's because he's strong. And when we sing that song, you are God alone. Okay? Yeah. There's a disconnect today for me in the teaching. Then there, there's two reasons. Number one is uh, I feel like the teaching's incomplete for some reason. <clears throat> and number two, it's a little bit more of a walking commentary than I, I, I really like. So I'm kind of saying, okay, God, what's the piece that I'm missing? And this morning, uh, Gary <laughs> prayed over me, not realizing I'm feeling that way. And he's addressed that specifically. Really, really, really awesome. So I'm excited to see what God's going to do in this teaching time. There's a reason why I said that, and I don't even know what it is. But oh well, that's okay. That's okay. We're blessed. But here's the one thing. Is there a God 
who is able to rescue you from the fire. Friends, the song we sang, You Are God Alone, by saying it, you've created a dividing line. If you're going to make that expression. And the dividing line is that there are gods in our world that are not God alone. There are false gods in the world, idols, okay, that are not able to rescue from the fire. They can't do a thing. They're limited. They're, they're gods that we can control. And I think that's the distinction. What you need to hear as a theme as we get into this is there is a God that can rescue from the fire, okay? So I don't know what it is with this incompleteness. Would a couple of you just come and place your hands on me and somebody pray for me right now that God would give us this peace, okay? I'll just stand here and let you come as God draws you. Father, we give glory to you first and foremost. We're here to worship you and praise you and lift you up. But right now, Lord, we pray for a powerful anointing on Michael where he feels incomplete. Father, I pray that you would complete him this morning more abundantly than he could even imagine. All to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I receive it. Yeah, somebody else, I want you to miss it if you need to. All right, because I don't want to miss the blessing. Yeah. Incomplete's a good thing. It's underrated. But it leaves room. Yeah. For you to move. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Well, let's get to it, shall we? Thanks, you all. Yay. Oh, okay. <clears throat> I haven't given you a moment to cast your cares on the Lord, so right now, why don't you just do that? Who you carrying, what are you carrying, just give it to God right now, okay? Are you ready to receive from the Lord? All right, well, let's get into this teaching then. Thank you, Lord. The fiery furnace, Daniel chapter 3, turn there in your Bibles, the primary text won't be on the screen. Uh, this is a big chunk to work, but it all works together, we've got to do this uh, according to where I'm led this morning. My personal goal is that I will rejoice always believing that God will turn the ashes of disaster into the roses of success. And that last statement, ashes of disaster into roses of success, you'll have to pardon me for that. Um, one of my favorite movie scenes is in the movie Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Okay, yeah, sorry about that. It comes right after the intermission. Those old kids' movies have intermissions. And Grandpa Potts has been mistakenly kidnapped by the king of Bolivia. All right? The king of Bolivia wants that car. He wants a chitty-chitty bang-bang. But what he doesn't know is that it was Grandpa Potts' son that was the inventor of the car. So Grandpa Potts is scared to death. 
he's put into a uh, laboratory with a whole bunch of long-bearded old scientists, right? And obviously, they've all been placed there to invent something for the king, and when they haven't come through, they've had to serve a lifetime sentence in that laboratory, okay? So these old guys with long beards, you've got to get the picture, are trying to encourage Grandpa Potts, and their song is, From the ashes of disaster grow the roses of success. <laughs> okay, that's where that comes from, in case you're curious. I, I cannot keep a copy of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, because every time someone's feeling like they're in the pit, I have to give the movie away <laughs> and say, go get to the intermission and watch that scene. Have you ever been in a, a situation where you thought that you were doing the right thing only to have it backfire in your face? You can relate to that injustice, right? Yeah, I was youth pastor in Greeley. Uh, Michael was probably in the youth group at this time. Got a phone call uh, from a concerned parent because... Uh, Oh, their son had been in a terrible accident. It was the day that Chad decided to put dry ice in a Coke bottle, put the lid on it, and it blew up in both his and brother's faces. So I wasn't even paying attention to my speedometer going to the hospital. And honestly, I wasn't going that fast. (laughs) And then I see these red lights, you know, flashing behind me. Uh, the officer asked me if, you know, why I was going that fast. And so I told him, and his response to me was, well, we don't need two of you in the ER. And he wrote me up. And I'm thinking I'm doing the right thing. And he's, in, a, in, 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 in my heart, I'm saying injustice, right? Well, what was interesting was a, a girl in our youth group from a very influential and known family in the town also got a ticket that week. And so her dad heard about my ticket, so he decided he would uh, hire a lawyer for both of us <laughs> and take us to court, <laughs> or go with us to court anyway. What an experience. I've never been in such a crowded courtroom, and to have the judge flag us right to the front of the room, you know, and uh, that day he gave me a de- deferred sentence, which I never had to pay a penalty for, you know, because you know how deferred sentences work. And so that police officer was probably sitting there thinking, I thought I did the right thing, but now I'm crying injustice, right? Yeah, injustices. Well, that's just a little story, but it doesn't compare to the many injustices in our world. Why is there so much oppression? Why is there so much persecution? What's going on here? Why is it that God's people, decent people, seem to suffer while evil seems to abound? And then we want to ask, where is God in the midst of all this? And can I just say, God can handle those questions that you have, okay? Yeah, he can handle it. So as we approach Daniel 3, Daniel's three buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and just highlight that they are addressed in this chapter by their pagan Babylonian given names, okay? Uh, so uh, they're thrown into a fiery furnace for doing the right thing. And, and these guys could have cried un- unjust. They could have asked, where is God? But get this, instead, they discover God in the midst of the fire, A, and B, they, ha- they, uh, they prove to a watching world that there is a God in heaven. So they have become today an encouragement to us like they have been an encouragement to so many for thousands and thousands of years. Two major movements in our text today. The first movement is this. The king 
and his image. All right, so we pick it up, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide. So it's 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. Kind of a, a tall, skinny statue, 8 or 9 stories tall. It's, 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 it's huge. He makes the statue and sets it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. I strongly believe that what is happening right here with the king setting up the statue is directly related to chapter 2. And if you remember in chapter 2 from last week that King Nebuchadnezzar had been having a terrible reoccurring dream. It was keeping him up at nights. Do you remember what the object of that dream was? A statue, right? Yes, absolutely. So... With God's help in that dream, Daniel was not only able to interpret the dream, but according to the king's edict, was able to tell the king what that dream was in the first place. And this dream, as you saw, was a prophecy. It was a prophecy that is still affecting you and me even right now. It was made of four metals. It had a head of what? Gold. You remember what that represented? Babylon, really it represented Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar is Babylon. So yes, it represented Babylon. Had a a chest and arms of, of silver. Had a belly and thighs of bronze and legs of iron. Each of these sections represented a coming empire, an empire that today you and I can look back on in history and see that every one of those empires has come and gone. And according to the dream, the next empire to come is the kingdom of God. So the next empire that will rule on planet Earth is the kingdom of God. Does anybody get excited about that? Maybe not, huh? Just okay? No, you do, right? It's a prophecy that is still playing out today. So the statue in the dream last week had a golden head. The head represented Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar's influence. The statue today is gold from head to toe, and you better believe it still represents Nebuchadnezzar and his influence. It's all about Nebuchadnezzar's image. Now, there probably wasn't enough gold in Babylon at the time for it to be solid gold, okay? It probably was a a wooden structure that was laminated in gold. But some people say that uh, precious metals, the way they were proportioned in the world back then, it might have been more gold than we think, okay? However, here it is, gold from head to toe. Now, here we go. We're starting to move forward. 16 to 20 years have now passed since Nebuchadnezzar had the dream we talked about last week. And what has happened? Absolutely nothing. None of the kingdoms that Daniel highlighted from that dream is showing any signs of threatening 
potential. There has been no inferior kingdom coming to conquer Babylon. There has been no bronze kingdom, no iron kingdom, no magical flying stone to hit the statue in its feet and, and destroy it down to nothing but powder. So what is Nebuchadnezzar thinking? All these years have passed. It's probably not going to happen. It's been a long time. Maybe I've won favor with the gods. I'm king of kings. I'm invincible. So I will build my own statue. Not a statue with a head of gold, but a statue that's all gold. Not a statue with feet of clay. I learned that lesson. This one's not going to be so vulnerable. And, and Nebuchadnezzar is thumbing his nose at God, and he's saying, no kingdom, whether natural or supernatural, will ever come against Babylon. Can you see this? All right, so there's two applications here. I've only gotten to verse one, okay? Sorry about that. It's the way it works sometimes. It's inspiration. <laughs> Application number one is this. Inspirations to build our own images are not from God. <laughs> Can we just settle that right now? Inspirations to build your own image, these are not from God, okay? Think about it. This forces us to ask questions like, are we image builders? Do we try to impress? Are we different at church or with certain people than we are when we're doing life out in the world? Are we consistent? Because friends, we are not to be setting up memorials for our glory right? But there is one image we are to take on. And what is that image? Well, it's highlighted for us in Romans 8, 29. Look what the Bible says. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to what? The image of his son that we might be, that he might be, that person might be, no, that Jesus might be, excuse me, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers. So the first deal, right? We are not to be personal image builders. Application number two, and I hope this isn't just becoming too trivial for you because it shows up again and again in Daniel. Be sure Jesus is coming soon. And you say, where do you get that? Well, get this. 16 years has, has passed. There have been no kingdoms. Nothing's happened. Where do we live, friends? 2,000 years have passed and still Jesus hasn't come back. Okay, now I need to point you over to 2 Peter 3. Look what it says there. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, Nebuchadnezzars will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Now jump on to verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow at keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And why don't you read that last section with me? Do we have it up there? Uh, is it up there? No. Okay, verse 10. Read that together. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. That's right. It's coming. All right, let's get back to our text, okay? We're still on that first movement, a king, the king, and his image. So he built this statue, uh, this tall statue, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, and then he summoned 
All these world leaders, the satraps, prefects, they're all under his influence. Governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officers to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So they all came and stood before it. Verse 4. Then the herald loudly, loudly proclaimed, Nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold. Verse 6, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of all these instruments, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced that word denounce used there literally means made mincemeat of or tore to pieces. So they denounced the Jews. They didn't denounce all Jews. They denounced three Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we see this here. Verse 9, they said to Nebuchadnezzar, to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of all these instruments must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are how many? Some, yeah, three, that's right. Some Jews, not all, who you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Stop right here and work this a while. The first question that you might have is, where is Daniel? I mean, it's just these three guys, right? Is he bowing down and worshiping these false gods? No, we're told in chapter 2 from last week, verse 49, exactly where Daniel is. He's serving in the royal court. He's busy doing other things he wasn't here. But what this shows is Daniel's friends right now are not standing on Daniel's faith. They're standing on their own faith. And, and here's the application right here, friends. There comes a time when we must each take a stand on our own for what we believe because we'll be tested and the problem for some of us today, even in this room, the reason our faith seems dead somehow or stagnant somehow is we're probably living on someone else's faith, a grandmother's faith, a parent's faith, and we haven't come to know Jesus for ourselves. And we will all be tested. And how will we stand? I can't answer it for you. But he has to be your source of strength. If you're going to stand. Also, all of these other leaders here, including most of the Jews, fall down immediately and worship this idol without any question. Was it because they didn't have faith? No. Everyone has faith in something, right? Yeah. The difference between a fully devoted Christ follower and something less has nothing to do with the presence or absence of faith, but rather what it has to do with is the object of one's faith. And what most people tend 
to focus on is, would involve the stuff of the world or protecting our own human security and existence. And therefore, when the call was issued to fall down before the statue or die, the people responded the best way they knew for one purpose, to protect their own lives. And you remember what the spirit of Babylonian influence is? It's all about me, and it's all about my glory. This is what will cause us to fall down. The Hebrews, in contrast, right? They believed in the Lord God. They would bow to no other, like we sang about here a moment ago. They would bow to no other, even if it meant death by fire. They could have had excuses, right? They could have come up with all kinds of stuff. I wrote down a few. Oh, we'll just bow down this one time. That'll work. Oh, we'll bow with our bodies, but our hearts won't be in it. Oh, yeah, we'll we'll bow down, and then we'll just confess it to God later. He'll always forgive. Everyone messes up now and then. It's okay. Go ahead and bow. But the reality was, was these three men knew that to bow to the statue meant they were denying the Lord God. Wow. Excuse me. To bow to the statue meant to deny the Lord God. After 9-11, there was a meeting in Chicago. It was a gathering of the Interfaith Council. They met in a conference room. The room was packed. A Muslim leader was invited to address the crowd, and he had their attention. In fact, he had their cheers. And the climax of, his, of what he had to say was, in order to, for there to be peace on earth, we must all come to the place we are, where we are willing to get rid of and put away everything that divides us. Immediately, everybody in the room Almost everybody jolted to their feet in standing ovation, cheering that we must be willing to get rid of anything that divides us. But Shavrach, Meshach, and Abednego were there that day. People who influenced me. And they stayed seated because they knew to stand at that moment was to deny Jesus Christ. Because when it comes right down to it, Jesus Christ is the battleground. He is the stone that people stumble over. He's the stumbling block. He said he didn't come to bring peace, but to bring the sword. And the sword is a distinction between the one true God and a whole bunch of false gods. Where will we stand? Choose God, or you will be vulnerable to anything. Decide where you stand, or you will fall for anything. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. This is the message, and I make no apology for proclaiming it.
Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Take a breath. We're going to move on to the second movement. Good stuff. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God is good. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures and endures and endures forever. Verse 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good, but if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And here's the key now, and it happens three times in the in this scripture. There's a key to understanding this chapter right here. King Nebuchadnezzar asks this question. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. This is a huge furnace. It's an industrial furnace. It was probably used to, uh, to, to, to bake bricks for the king's palace building projects and, and wall building projects. Definitely big enough for three, and we'll see in a moment, four men to stand in and move around in. This crowd is probably standing close enough to this furnace at this time that they can hear the fire rumble and they can feel the heat coming off of it when this king asks this rhetorical question, what God is able to rescue you? And what he's insinuating right here is there is no God who can rescue you from my hand. But here's the truth. The truth is God is in control. Right? And by the time we get to verse 29, even Nebuchadnezzar is going to be acknowledging that God is in control. So what the conclusion will be is there is a God who can rescue you from the fire. That's the thrust. Okay, If you get nothing else, hear this. There is a God who can rescue and will. <laughs> a God who can and will ultimately, all right, rescue you from the fire. So the application here is what false religion can't do, God will do. This is a strong message to the Jews who are standing here at this moment because exactly what got them captured by the Babylonians in the first place. They started worshiping these false gods. When God had told them, if you worship these false gods, you will be handed over to your, to your, to your enemies. Now, right here on public display, they're getting a living example, a comparison, right? A science project of comparison to see what a false god can do or can't do and what the Lord God can do or can't do, all right? God is going to be glorified. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace... A, the God we serve is able to deliver us from us. B, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. C, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. 
Now, let me cross-reference you over to Isaiah 43. In Isaiah 43, verse 2, God makes this promise to his people. When you pass through the waters, what's that next little line? I will be with you. Can I just say right here, the premise of all deliverance is the reality that God is with you. So when you read the rest of the psalm right here, and it says, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. Why? Because I will be with you. And it says, when you walk through the fires, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Why? Because God is with you. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believed that, but they also saw this could potentially play out three ways. And I want to give you these, and these are pretty common in, in various teachings when you hear teachings on, on Daniel, okay? So these are not my own. I don't know who came up with them. Somebody did, but they're good. Let me give them to you. Number one, God can deliver from the fire. And the key word there is from the fire. I think that's the option most of us would vote for. You know, Jesus, pay attention. Do you see that big fire over there? Yeah, how about you put it out right now and how about you just put a bucket of, of ice cubes all over anything that's hot, right? Who would vote for that one? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm with you. Okay, the result is that when amazing miracles happen, our faith guilt gets built up. And this is why our prayer partners are so diligent to pray for you. They're going to be here after service to pray for you. You know why? Because they love to see people rescued from the fire. They love to see miracles. They want to rejoice with you. And by you not letting them pray for you, you're depriving them of an opportunity to see victory. Shame on you. <laughs> I don't say much around here, but if you're not letting people pray for you, okay, you finish that one. I'm not going to. I don't want to be an instrument of shame around this place. The second possibility is that God can deliver through the fire. <laughs> and this is when we don't get our instant miracle, and we've got to kind of walk the path for a while. Uh, Jesus, <clears throat> when he heard about Lazarus, when he heard that his friend Lazarus was sick, what he said was this, this sickness will not end in death, no, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Through what? The sickness. In other words, God's going to use sickness for a greater purpose. And when that happens, the result is our faith gets refined. We don't like being refined. We don't like going through the fire. But listen to what Peter says. This is First Peter 1, verse 6. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Refining process. Interesting. There's a third one. That God could deliver them by the fire and take them home straight into the arms of Jesus. Okay, now we don't like that one. <laughs> you know, uh, I like that first one better, you know. Deliver me from the fire. Friends, this one is the best deal of all. It is, because this one means we get to go home and we get to be with Jesus 
forever. Remember Paul saying, living for me means opportunities for Christ. Dying is the best deal of all because I get to go home and be with Jesus. And the result is our faith is perfected. Let me give you another cross-reference. This is Philippians 1.21. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. We all have to go home sometime. We've all got to get there some way. This life is a short bleep. We are living for a new place, a glorious kingdom, a kingdom void of the problems we have here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's responses, I think, represent all of these things. But one thing is for sure, they're clear to go home if that be the case. Are you clear to meet your God? They might have been hoping that God would get them out of it, but nonetheless, they're ready. Let's get back to our text, verse 19. And so this is where I get a little concerned because I'm going to keep going here. I'm pushing through, okay? So hang in there, you guys. Follow with me because this is good stuff. We're digging up gold here and uh, let the Lord speak to you. Verse 19. Well, then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with these guys for their response and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. That simply means as hot as possible. I want these guys to burn instantly. That's what he's saying there. And commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie them up and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took them up and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Now, here's an observation, and I just have to say it, and you're probably not going to like it, but you probably need to hear it anyway. So are you ready for it? It was a miracle that these guys made it in the furnace alive in the first place. The soldiers who took them up died. Can anyone rejoice that God can get you into the fire alive? <laughs> Probably not where we want to go. But this is what Peter's talking about. Another cross-reference in 1 Peter 4 when he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fire ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Wow. Maybe not the miracle you want, but they made it into the fire alive. <laughs> and actually, over in 2 Peter, the Bible says, anyone who desires to live a holy life will be persecuted. Anyone all-inclusive. Verse 24. The king leapt to his feet in amazement and asked the advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like, and the NIV misses it here, 
uh, like a son of the gods, the son of God, the son of deity. Some want to say that this is the angel Gabriel, but where did I take you in Isaiah 43.1? The premise of all deliverance is the realization, the reality that God is with you. He's with you in the fire so that the classical view of that fourth person is that this is a theophany. A Christophany, if you will, that this is a manifestation of Jesus Christ before he was ever born in Bethlehem. And this is the case any time that you see God appearing in a man-like form. Jesus is eternal. He didn't begin at the first Christmas. He merely came as a sacrifice for your sins so that he's showing up all through history. Yeah, give God glory. Go ahead, don't hold it back. Oh, my goodness. Have you put your faith in Christ? Let this be your moment. Do you see where your path is leading you? Do you see how you're bowing down to things that you never thought you would? Come home. Call in the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. And you will have a firm foundation to stand on and a path that makes sense in life. Hear what the Spirit is saying. Come home, come home, come home. Verse 24. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. Why didn't he call that fourth guy? You know, (laughs) hey, whoever you are, just stay in there, right? The rest of you guys, come out. Yeah, doesn't want to deal with him. So they came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies. Can we just say miracle? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nor was a hair on their heads singed. Can we just say miracle? (laughs) Their robes were not scorched. Miracle, right? And there was no smell of smoke on them. Yeah. And right there is a conviction point. Because I think some of us walking through this world and the sufferings of this world are smelling like smoke. You know how? Every time we gripe about our life and our circumstances, we're stinking. We're smelling like smoke. We're letting it get on us. And God wants us to walk through it in victory with confidence. Now, I'm not standing here saying that like a condescending preacher. I'm standing here saying it with as much conviction in my heart as you're feeling in yours. Is that okay? Yeah. Stop the griping and keep rejoicing. That's a message for me as well. Verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise, this is the pagan king of Babylon. Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defiled the king's command and were willing to give up their own lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own God. Therefore, I, the king of Babylon, decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut to pieces. He must have been Italian. (laughs) Way too much drama here. Cut to pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble for... No other God can save in this way. Did you just see it? There is a God who can, right? Question number one, is there a God who can, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, yes, there is a God who can. And now the king is saying, there is a God who can. 
Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So God did rescue these three men from the burning furnace. I don't know what your story is going to be. I really don't know. And if you find yourself in the fire right now, let me just give you a couple of applications and we'll close with these. Will you please hear the words, God is in control? Will you please hear it? God knows what he's doing, right? And, and, and if your story results in triumph or, or if it results in, in tragedy, the end of your story is not finished at this point. Ultimately, if you'll trust the Lord, you will see the victory. And even if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had died on this day, it wouldn't have changed the fact that God is good and in his goodness, God is in control. Trust the Lord. Secondly, God's going to redeem it all. He's going to redeem all of it. Even suffering proves useful. There's a vivid illustration of that right here. Did you notice the one thing that did burn up in the fire? It was the shackles that bound them. It was the ropes that had them tied up. God will use the fire to burn away stuff in your life that's holding you back. Again, 1 Peter 1.7, that these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And the third thing I hope you'll see here is divine interventions. Divine intervention will capture the heart of both believers and non-believers alike. Today, we say goodbye to three men in our study of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In fact, they will never show up anywhere in Scripture again. But did you notice the context of the farewell? The king of Babylon and all the people pay homage to the Lord God because of their witness. It wasn't a 90-foot statue that got all the praise that day. It wasn't a 90-foot statue that dazzled and captured the hearts of people. It was the golden hearts of God's people, and it was the amazement that God himself could deliver even from the fire. Right here today, the fame of God was increased in all the world because of the witness of three men. And may that be your story as well, that people look and they see and they say, there is a God in heaven. (laughs) Now next week, (laughs) I'm already excited about next week, we're going to see how God will go out of his way to show people who would just pay attention that he really is in control. It's going to be good. I'm excited. I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come, be available. I don't know what God's doing, how he's drawing. Thank you, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to see just how limited we are in our understanding of things. And Thank you, God, that you've got the whole picture. You've got the complete perspective of everything. 
And not only that, it's all subject to you anyway. And Lord, thank you that we have a hope of a new day when things are going to be right and it's going to be good. Oh, and then we cry out on behalf of those who don't share our hope and we say, Lord, please use us somehow to see others call on the name of the Lord so they can walk in this confident assurance as well. (laughs) We need you, Lord. You alone are God. There is no other. We worship you. We worship you. Let God continue to draw you as we sing. Time for fear.
don't you love that lady? <laughs> oh. Okay, I'll have to answer that one later. Let's give glory to God instead, all right? Yeah. All right. Okay, knights. With his sword. And signet ring. I bless you. Receive this blessing. In the name of the Father. And of the Holy Son. And of the Holy Spirit. I bless you with the very presence of God himself in all of his glory. Let it flow over you from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. And may you know you are not alone, that God is with you, that he's patient with you, he will complete the work he started in you, and he is using you to make a difference in this world that desperately needs the good news of the kingdom that you bear. Receive this blessing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit.